As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Something quite, I think it feels quite special to me, is, is happening there. United will be licking their wounds after a Derby Day defeat um, and a, a pretty humbling one that the most goals ever scored in a in a Manchester Derby in their 6-3 loss. It's a young, exciting goalkeeper. will go for a lot of money. You look at goalkeepers around the Premier League now, De Gea, Lloris as well, replacements for them. And he, he, he seems a good fit with plenty of scope to improve as well. Anything but a win. And you have to think his, uh, his time at the club is, is done. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. I'm Dan Bardell and this is the Weekend Preview. I'm joined by George Ellick, Bet365 Steve Freeth and the Athletic's Tim Spears. With Arsenal riding high, we'll preview Liverpool's trip to the league leaders, Manchester United looking to bounce back at the league's tightest defence against Everton. Plus, can Steve Cooper hang on to his job at Nottingham Forest as they welcome Aston Villa to the city ground on Monday night? Before we get into previewing, how about a bit of reaction to last week, Erling Haaland with yet another hat-trick. George, can he break the 30-goal mark? I mean, that feels like a futile question at the moment. 30? Yeah. 60? Um, he's on course for 100, isn't he, at the moment? 102 goals. <laughs> I think we'll, we'll hear shortly from Steve um, what Bet365 make of, of the chances of where his goal scoring is going to go. But it, it is amazing. I mean, everything that I um, think about football is is that these purple patches are unsustainable and it normally ends. But when you watch City and the way they're playing and when you watch Haaland and the way that he's finishing, and when you look back at his goal scoring record previously, it, it does feel like the only thing that is going to stop Erling Haaland is is his own body. You know, he is a player who has suffered injuries pretty much in every season. He's been a first-team footballer. It's not surprising given um, the amount of, of, of power <laughs> that he uses in order to score, score the goals that he scored. Um, he is a, a physical phenomenon and that is playing a massive part in the goals that he's scoring. Uh, and I think his performances because you know he, he doesn't really get involved in, in build-up play at all um, it means we're seeing players like Foden um, even uh, Jack Grealish in the last couple of games um, enjoy themselves even more because I think 
teams are trying to have to double up on him as well. So it's making City even stronger. Um, and the assists that we're seeing, you know, when you have players like Cancelo and and Kevin De Bruyne, who are some of the best players in world football, uh, the, uh, creating from deep and, and crossing the ball from, from deep wide areas. When you've got someone like Haaland, who is so dominant both with his head and also with his reach, um, it's, it means that we're seeing some aesthetically unique and, and pretty pleasing goals. Tim, could he beat Jamie Vardy's record for goals in consecutive games? No, I don't. No, I don't think so. That's one thing he's not going to do. No, I, t- I don't know why. I just don't think that'll happen. I mean, I- I've already predicted he'd scored 40 before the season even started, as, as you guys well remember. Remember it well. So uh, I don't feel like I need to predict anything else with him, really. Do you know, I, I, had, the- I had the privilege of being at the-, the Etihad last Sunday. I was sat on the second from back row of the third tier. So an extremely high vantage point. And just just the movement of City's front players was absolutely glorious it's like watching swans on a lake it was it was it was beautiful and um, even from that height i could see erling Haaland's thighs which are humongous any bigger than jack's um, calves <laughs> yeah. um so yeah the, the uh, my, my favorite stat about Haaland's goals there are, there are a lot knocking around at the moment um is that he scored as many hat tricks this season as as wolves have scored goals um which is 3 <laughs> But there are so many; it's just insane. I feel, I feel like it's, it's gone beyond numbers and words. There, really, you just you just need to sit back and, and appreciate that this guy is um, is in the Premier League. Yeah, and talking about beautiful swans, Steve, Man City capable of going through the whole season unbeaten. I mean, we've already seen money for them to do that, Dan. They're currently currently seven to one, but the the interest is all about Haaland. It's just an incredible band of followers that he's gained in this short time that he's been in the Premier League. We. You touched upon 30 or more goals. He's, he's one to eight to do that. So we're expecting that. He's been backed from 20s into 10 in the last couple of days to get 50 plus goals. He's already one to seven to be top Premier League goal scorer and one to two to be top Champions League goal scorer. Nine to two to score more than Ronaldo in the Champions League that season where he got 17. So, And you know what? If we put him in the betting for next prime minister, I'm pretty sure we'd see a load of money for, for him as well. That's such is the, such is the fan base he's got at the moment. He's absolutely incredible, and rather worryingly, he's going to have a lot of time off, isn't he, in November and December as well to get rest and get even fitter. So, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the liabilities through through my hands like that at the moment, and I'm just a little bit a little bit concerned. What was the like maximum goals you could bet on? Because I know you could do thirty plus. Could you do forty plus, fifty plus at the start of the season? Industry-wise, you, uh, you you could do. We did. We did. For we boosted forty plus at twenty to one, thinking we were pretty safe. In all honesty, and because yeah, we, we've seen him this flat trap bully. You know, he won't do it in the Premier League, will he? And then, of course, he will. And oh yeah, but what about his injuries? And he won't play. Pep won't play him every every minute. I know we were quite fortunate last night. He got two, and then uh, and then was substituted at half time. So Pep, if you're listening, plenty more substitutions and plenty more resting, please. It's interesting you mentioned the flat track bully because it does kind of feel like more than any other season, the Premier League is a bit of a flat track. Um, I remember a piece in The Athletic from Michael Cox at the beginning of the season talking about how there were no long ball teams left in the Premier League. That massively plays in City's hands where they're not having to play against many teams who play a low block. You've also got teams like um, Liverpool, uh, Manchester United even, um, who Spurs even this season already, who are normally fairly decent defensively, who are, are being pretty porous at the moment. It does feel like Unless teams improve, Arsenal are kind of the only side who I'd anticipate would give City much for games. That that seven to one to go unbeaten. I mean, they're probably worth seven to one shots, aren't they? Hat trick, hat trick, hat trick. Three 
in three games at the Etihad. He's just ripping up the record books. Let's move away from the Erling Haaland show now and do what we're here to do and preview the weekend's Premier League action. And we're going to start with Arsenal against Liverpool, which is the Sunday 4.30 kickoff. Tim, you watched Arsenal last week. They won the North London derby in impressive fashion. Currently second favourites for the league. Are we right in saying that, that is that a fair reflection? Yeah, 100%. I don't know who else would, would be second favourites, really, with, with Spurs struggling for form, Liverpool with so many problems, Chelsea still getting used to life under Potter. Definitely, for me. I, 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 don't, I don't think they can push City, but I tell you what, the feeling around that place, you, I, you, don't, you don't get this often at, at football clubs. Something, something quite, I think it feels quite special to me, is, is happening there. The, um, the link between fans and players and management is um is extremely strong they've got momentum they're happy they're actually happy i, I know a lot of us can't relate to that as football fans <laughs> absolutely <but> not <laughs> i was i was hanging around um the emirates before the game for a piece for the athletic about um derbies and fans and i went to the etihad and i was at the king power on monday night as well and I was looking around. I was looking around me on Gillespie Road, and every single person I looked at had a, had a smile on their face. I've never seen that before at a football match, other than like before an end of season title win or or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Where it's last mm. game of the season, and everyone's especially relaxed this is pre derby as well. You know, nervy It was it was so noticeable to me how how confident they were. And yes, that's probably got something to do with with their incredible record against Spurs in the derby as well. You know, they they, they would they were complacent and confident going into it, and and they were right to be so. But I've noticed this. uh, I've been to the Emirates twice this year, and it's 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 up there in sort of the 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 top ten or twenty noisiest stadiums I've I've ever I've ever been at for an occasion. Basically, you know, they beat Wolves with a last minute winner in February, and the noise was incredible. And then for the North London derby. Yeah, it's. Um, I listened to the Arsenal pod as well the other day, and um, there's an amazing feeling around the place, and that momentum, and that, and that, and that positivity, and that feel good factor that cannot be un- underestimated. You know, they've got on a real roll at the moment, and um, I think they can definitely, they can definitely do something special this season. Yeah, George Ben White was highlighted on Match of the Day for praise in his role at right back. I mean, just what England need is another right back. There's also a piece in the Athletic about him kind of popping up as the extra attacker. He's in kind of a similar position to James Madison at Leicester at the moment in that he's in great form, but it's possibly going to be too late in Southgate's eyes to call him up for, for Qatar. Yeah, I think there's similarities in terms of, as you say, the form. Um, I think the, the reasons probably for Southgate not picking them is, is different. You know, I think in in White, you've got a player who I'm sure Southgate trusts. He, he was part of the, the Euro squad and Southgate went... Um, to great lengths to point out how important the players who were in the squad who didn't play, didn't make any appearances in that Euros were to to the group. Um, and we know how loyal Southgate can be to personalities. With Madison, it does feel like there was a, a big relationship breakdown when Madison, of course, um, you know, came out of a squad and then was pictured in in, uh, in places that he maybe shouldn't have been um, at the time. So it, it does feel like it might be a little bit harder for Madison to, to get in the England squad um, whilst Southgate is is in charge. But with White, I think he's one of those players now who has proven himself to be a very good centre back, um, whether for for Leeds or. Or, or, or then at Brighton as well, he's proven himself now to be a, a good right back. He can play holding midfield as well. And in international football, having somebody who is a very good defender, who's a good ball player, who can play three different positions, is is pretty useful when you've got, especially when you've got a you know a twenty six man squad. So um, yes, being 
an England right back isn't the best thing to be at this stage given the options that we have but having said that I think um, there's certainly a place for someone who is clearly a good character um, is is playing very well and has all the technical attributes to play in, in multiple positions as well yeah form player that can play centre-back is pretty rare at the moment for Gareth Southgate another centre-back that's on form Steve William Saliba I heard you humming the tune as you, as you were coming on to do this podcast one of the standout young players of the season so far a little bit of a concern for Arsenal in the contract situation I'm sure that'll get resolved but he's undoubtedly been a key player for them I mean almost like a new signing essentially yeah I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I can't stop singing that song. I could be in bed at night. You hummed it. It's yeah, yeah, and it's and it's a great chant. It goes on forever, doesn't it? And and I'm sure Arsenal fans will be hoping that this run continues forever as well till till the end of the season. But yeah, he's a young player who's who's been away to his back back to his native France. Had some great loans, got some experience. I know we're guilty sometimes of, of of praising up a lot of players, particularly particularly young ones. He got his first experience of a North London derby, of course, up against Harry Kane. I'm sure he will have certainly enjoyed that. And uh, it's it's an exciting time for Arsenal, and it's an exciting time for for, for Saliba. And as a as a neutral, I'm interested to see how far he goes. Well, another fan of Saliba and probably a fan of the chant as well is Amy Lawrence. And on our dedicated Arsenal podcast, Handbrake Off, she says he's one of the best about right now. I think one of the places I didn't anticipate there being leadership and he does it by example is Saliba. I think the example he sets with his composure and his uh, his coolness at the back of the team is just blowing my mind. And... Uh, Harry Kane in his pocket yesterday, which, by the way, England fans, you will see again in eight weeks' time at the World Cup, I imagine. <laughs> Sad as that may be for the when, England when fans... I spoke to William Gallas uh, pitch side before the game for, for the breakdown live, and we would. T- I asked him about Saliba, and he was obviously waxing lyrical about him. But the point that he made that really stuck with me in our interview was that for twenty-one-year-old players or young players in their early twenties that are attackers, he says it's in his opinion easier to shine and easier to to give of your best and to 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 stand out. Because everything you do in those positions is instinctive and fresh and it's about catching people by surprise. He said for defenders, it's about soaking up knowledge and intelligence and learning from your experience and learning about your teammate and learning about your partner. What does he like? What are his faults? How can I best help him out? The player to my right, the player to my left, the player in front. You need to develop these understandings and that all comes with time and experience. So for a person of William Saliba's age to be as exemplary as he is right now is genuinely exceptional. And I think by the time he's in his mid-twenties, he's going to be a frighteningly good central defender, which is exciting. His temperament is unreal. I mean, it doesn't look like there's a single thing on earth that could unnerve him. But, you know, I keep hearing people talk about, oh, you know, there aren't many, you know, he must be the best young defender in the world or amongst the best. I just don't think that the, his age has anything to do with how he should be being assessed. I would challenge anyone to find me five centre-backs in the world of football operating today who are better than him right now. I'm not sure that that is happening. Tim, I'm going to challenge you. Is there five centre-backs better than him operating in the world at the moment? I don't really like those comparison things because there's nobody who can give a definitive answer unless you, unless you're regularly watching every single uh, league in the world. Um, I, I watched six Premier League games this week, and I would say 
he was he was up there. He, he, he's certainly in the top five in the Premier League at the moment. I, th- I think top five in the Premier League is you know a, a fair assessment from what we've seen and from what I've seen of him. I, I can only echo everything that was said in, in that clip there. To be honest, his composure really, really, really stands out. I think he was surrounded by Son, Kane, and Richarlison at one point, and then just just did a little shimmy oh, and then just strolled, strolled out of defence. Just beautiful. Um, yeah, got a massive future in the game. Um, really enjoying watching him. I think Arsenal deserve big credit for the way they've used loan market with Saliba as well. Um, I think too often these days we don't necessarily see um, clubs looking to get players experience elsewhere before bringing them back in. I think often, certainly with with Tottenham uh, and, and with City as well, when a player goes out on loan, it's pretty rare that they actually end up coming back and getting into the first team picture. Um, but with you know, they were patient with him. He went out to Saint Etienne, then Nice, then Marseille. You know, basically stepping up with every move in terms of the, the level of football he was going to be playing when it could have been very tempting for Arsenal to, to bring him in immediately and I think the maturity that we're seeing and the confidence that he plays with comes about bringing in a player who has belonged to the club for, for three years but um, was given time to, to learn his trade elsewhere before coming in um, clever clever use of the, of the loan market yeah rare use of the loan market in that way as well not, not, not many teams have used it that, that effectively in that way that you talk about Josh Steve Liverpool Change of system, tweaking system for the midweek Champions League win against Rangers. Having that double pivot in front of the defence, that really did help them defensively. It solidified them a little bit, didn't it? And it helped Trent Alexander-Arnold yeah, out as well. Yeah, it didn't seem to go as further forward as we've seen previously. And Admittedly, uh, uh, working next to a, uh, to a Rangers fan, he was like kind of shaking his head about how poor Rangers were in, in midweek or how poor Liverpool made them look. And obviously the goalkeeper was outstanding for, for Rangers as well. And... Clearly, this is going to be much more of a test for for Liverpool, and interesting to see whether they actually go forward with this tweak of of formation as well. Two key games coming up for Liverpool with Arsenal and Manchester City. They are with a shorter price of them getting nothing out of those two two games as opposed to them uh, winning. So we're actually nine to two that they lose both games, and seven to one that they that they win both. But historically, this is a fixture that Liverpool do really well in, but defensively. Um, clearly you're going to be a little bit with concerned and they are it's a very very close betting heat as well so we're, we're finding it difficult who to make favourite in this game regardless of it being at uh, at Arsenal Yeah well Liverpool have trailed at half time in five of seven Premier League games so far this season and Arsenal have no clean sheet in the last nine at home dating back to Liverpool's last visit in March so I envisage goals in this one Tim how are you seeing it? Yeah, I think it's I think it's set up to be potentially one of the games of the season if if it goes to plan. Um, both teams are a lot better on the attack. Um, Arsenal do have a, a vulnerability when when teams are running them them at speed through central areas. I definitely saw that with Spurs last week. who didn't take enough advantage of it. Um, the thing with Liverpool for me that I find interesting is is what's their motivation for the season. I think Klopp has kind of mentioned a little bit there might be problems in their heads and. Feels like the title's gone to me. I'm sure Liverpool players will, will be will be doubting that they can win the league this season. You know, when you see when you when you try when you have to strain every sinew and give absolutely everything just to stay on City's coattails, and then they go out and buy Haaland and do what they're doing now, it must be pretty deflating for Liverpool as a club and for players and fans. So you know, what what, what are they aiming for this season? Um, I think that's that's a massive challenge for Klopp. To um to get them focused on on, on the task at hand because a lot at the moment they're playing very inconsistently inconsistently and, and a lot of them just don't seem up to the task. Let's look now at Brighton against Spurs, which is the Saturday tea time offering. George, as I say, I outed myself earlier as having absolutely no life because I watched six Premier League games this weekend. One of them was Brighton at Liverpool and Deserby 
kind of picking up from where Potter left Brighton, really. Some great play going forward, absolutely scintillating, and will probably be a little bit annoyed they didn't win. Yeah, it was it was a funny game in that respect, where um, especially the early parts of the game, you know, Brighton went 2-0 up, and, and by the time Liverpool got one back, they probably felt like they should have been further ahead. Um, having said that, after Liverpool went 3-2 up, they themselves had chances to win the game as well. So you kind of had a situation afterwards Jurgen Klopp kind of said it where he said we could have won the game did we deserve to win the game probably not and I think the same can probably probably be said of Brighton as well you know even though they scored three goals I think they only had six shots in, in the match all six of which were, were fairly good chances so um, it was really exciting um, to see the early signs of of, uh, of De Zerbi, uh, and his Brighton side, Brighton side you know people who've watched far more of his sides than I have have suggested that Brighton should be now one of the best teams to watch not that they weren't before but just in terms of pure goals and style um, um, we know that they're going to be set up to attack at any opportunity. Um, Trossard with a hat-trick, a player who um, I think could really profit from um, having somebody who lets the hand break off a little bit. You know, I think despite Potter's good reputation uh, for playing great football, of which I certainly pedal, um, you know, Brighton's success has been mainly built off a, a very solid defence. I think we might see that. Uh, I think we might see the handbrake come off a little bit and therefore players like, you know, I don't think Danny Welbeck's going to suddenly become a prolific frontman. So it's going to be the likes of Pascal Gross and, and, and Trossard who play off him who are going to profit probably. Um, and they were great finishes for the goals as well. So a really exciting start. Um, and, you know, we saw on the touchline a, a man who certainly wears his, his heart on his sleeve as well. Yeah, Steve Trossard, really interesting player because wherever he plays, he offers that offers that threat. He's played games at left wing back. He's played up front, kind of as a, as a false nine. He's played off the striker, but wherever he plays, he's just a really effective option. I mean, his hat trick takes him to five for the season. His personal best is eight. Surely he's going to beat that. He's a regular for Belgium as well. Probably a player. I mean, he will start to get credit now, but hasn't had the credit he deserved over the last couple of seasons. He ended last season really well as well. I bet he's in your fantasy team, any done? Unfortunately, not, Steve. Anyone who's any good is no. not in my fantasy team. <laughs> Yes, he's and he likes it playing against Spurs as well. I've, um, looking at the previous games between yeah, the two sides, scored a last winner last season and and an early winner the season before as well. So he'll he'll obviously a man full of confidence. I think he played a little bit further forward um, at uh, at Anfield. I think that was down to a player missing as regards to a, a tweak and, and Deserbi has already talked about how what a great side that Graham Potter has, has left him as well. Massively overachieving with the five five goals. His xG is currently less than two and he joins a, a band of players in the Premier League to score a Premier League hat-trick at Anfield. Do we know the other two, two players to have scored a Premier League hat-trick? Anfield. At Anfield. There's a classic Liverpool-Arsenal game once where... Arshavin. Arshavin scored. And, and uh, if you of get, course. And if you get the other one without reading The Athletic, which I did, admittedly. That's I'll the thing, very, I've already, I've already, I've already said this. You, you, you uh, Tim, yeah. Tim I, admire, I admire you for that, for not hyping <laughs> up and, and looking even better than you already do. Can you, can you just repeat the question one more time? Premier League player to score a hat-trick at Anfield, of the opposing team, of course. Oh, I don't know, Premier League. I was going to say Julia Baptista, but that's a different question. I haven't got the other one. I've not got it. Peter and Love. Oh, never have got that. Wow. Yeah. Never have got that. Come on, wow. lads. Everyone knows yeah. that. <laughs> I, had I, had his, I had his Merlin Premier League sticker in my Premier League book, but I don't, don't remember that hat trick at all. I'd never have got and that. He's got, and he's got a sticker of you as well, Dan, in his, uh, in his, in his podcast book. I'm yeah. sure he has. Like we all podcast have. Book. I wish there was such a thing, Steve. That would be really good for me. Tim, <laughs> you're, the, you're the Spurs man nowadays on loan in North London at the moment. Nil-nil midweek in the Champions League away in Germany. 
kind of there is this feeling that Spurs haven't quite hit their stride yet. But if you're anything like me, you just assume it's coming because it's Conte. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's, a, there's a real a split and a sort of a growing discontent, really, about sort of Conte and his tactics at the moment, which I find really, I find really interesting. You know, coming in from a from completely neutral point of view. Seeing that Spurs are doing pretty well and that Conte is one of the one of the best managers in the world, you know, you assume there's lots of faith that that it's going to be okay, but they are wavering a, a little bit. Um, certainly in terms of style of football, there's just a general feeling that with the talent that Spurs have got, with the money they spent in the summer, that expectations were a little higher this season, perhaps a little too high. I think I think I remember us saying at the start of the season in our preview pod that third was sort of a pretty likely finish for Spurs this season but when you look at what Arsenal are doing when you when you look at um, Chelsea and their strength in depth compared to Spurs it's night and day third doesn't certainly doesn't seem as guaranteed as a lot of us sort of thought it would be at the start of the season behind Liverpool and Man City but there are just quite a few problems to iron out pretty much all over the park and um, they improved in midweek at Frankfurt they should have won that game created a few good chances and now they've got a really tough run of fixtures in Europe and domestically. And Brighton away is not the game that you want at the moment. So I'm interested to see what team he picks. Whether he Basuma's got to come in, Basuma's got to. I've been saying this for weeks now, and he and he just he just won't bring him in. He says he's not used to his not used to his way of football and his and his sort of tactical thinking. So he's he's sort of going to going to bring him in slowly. But for me, a player of his quality, you know, when Spurs are struggling to dominate games in midfield. He needs to be playing now, really. Um, and then they've got this other issue issue at right wing back where Emerson Royale is now suspended after his red card at Arsenal. And um, Conte was asked about Matt Doherty or Jed Spence in midweek, Spurs' two other right wing backs, and basically poured cold water in the strongest possible sense on either of them being ready for first team football. Doherty last season played every game. And uh, now I'm not seeing him in a. In, in the right way to to start to start the game. I'm not stupid. I don't want to lose. I try to to put the the, the best team and to pick pick to pick the the, the best team. Morale suitably boosted there. It was just really just really yeah just a bit of a Conte blowout which seems to happen once in a while. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, there, there are there are there are a few issues particularly in terms of creating chances and scoring goals. But as you said right at the top, Dan. With the talent they've got, I would expect them to to get it right and for things to click and for them to go on a run sooner rather than later. Um, but they have got, a, as a lot of teams have, a really important few weeks before the World Cup. Yeah, and when Kulazewski doesn't play, that they're certainly lacking for yeah, creativity. Yeah. The way he cuts inside in the middle of the park and the way he manipulates the ball, they just don't seem to have that when he doesn't play. Coming up, we'll discuss how Manchester United bounce back from their Manchester derby humiliation. This is the Weekend Preview. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right then, before we continue with the podcast, please remember that if you are going to have a bet this weekend, make sure that you do so responsibly. George, you've got some helpful tips on how to make sure that we do just that. Yeah, it's important to us that the listeners of this podcast are in control of their gambling. This is a podcast for those who are 18 years of age and older. Please ensure that you are only staking what you can afford to lose and do visit BeGambleAware.org for any information to ensure that you're gambling responsibly. Right then, Everton v Manchester United, Sunday, 7 o'clock. What on earth is that TV slot? George, we know it has been moved because of European commitments, but it's going to be interesting to sit down on a Sunday night and watch Manchester United try and recover from that Derby Day humiliation. If I'm allowed to put on football at 7 o'clock on a Sunday night, I'll be absolutely amazed in my household. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... What have you got to compete with there? I don't even know what's on other than football. <laughs> Just just a full weekend of football, having already watched. I think uh, yeah, any time after basically the, the the late afternoon kickoff on a Sunday um, is is meant to be a football free zone. But um, yeah, I'll call it work and we'll see how I get I'd, on. I'd sacrifice uh, Crystal Palace lead Sunday two o'clock. I'd sacrifice that in exchange for the the seven o'clock slot. That's what I'd do. It, it, it was great before we started doing this podcast last season. My wife worked out that when I used to say that a Premier League game was work. I was maybe not being particularly truthful given most of my work was in the EFL. And then this podcast came along and suddenly I could call Premier League football works. So I've always got to <laughs> got to thank the Athletic for that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's quite a fun kickoff time, I reckon. Like it's, you know, Sunday night feels like it's quite a good time for football. Uh, whenever I am allowed to watch football, putting on the La Liga game at, uh, at eight o'clock is always um, an enjoyable watch. Um, and it's a, it's a, it should be a pretty good game as well. You've got two sides um, going through periods of change you know Everton come into it in pretty good form United will be licking their wounds after a Derby Day defeat um, and a, a pretty humbling one that the most goals ever scored in a in a Manchester Derby in their 6-3 loss um, and I don't think there's any need for kind of crisis I've seen two sides of the the argument being made you know firstly that it was a sign of how the, you know the 6-3 thrashing was a sign of how um, far behind United are behind City but I think we all knew that and I think frankly at the end of the day when City turn up and play like that there's nothing Manchester United can do about them because they are so much worse. Their team is so much worse. It was it was City just being at their absolutely brutal, efficient best. Their finishing was incredible. Um, they dominated the game. And I think coming back and scoring three goals when the game was gone um, restored a little bit of pride in what was a, a devastating performance by possibly the best club to, club side we've seen in, in recent history. Yeah, they'd lost 3-0. I don't think too many people would would have been surprised by, by that, Steve. So almost, like George says, that second half, Martial coming on and, and bagging a couple, almost ended it a little bit positively at the time of recording. We don't know what happens on Thursday night, but if they can win that game as well, I kind of think they can brush it under the carpet a little bit. <clears throat> Possibly, but, I mean, this is... I mean, the fans leaving at half-time are going to brush it under the carpet. The, but what, yeah. what do they expect? Dan, no, Dan exactly. they, they've, they've conceded six goals to their local rivals. There is no way you can put a positive spin on that. I'm not a positive spin, but it could have been. What I'm saying is, it could have been a lot worse. At least they ended it in some no, form but, of positive fashion. Th- three nil or six three. I'm, I'm not. I'm not having that argument. I, I, I know what you mean. It's a, it's a three goal defeat, but conceding six, it should have it's been Manchester more. Manchester City, the best team on the planet. That, unfortunately for them, their rivals are the best team on the planet. They won the second half, didn't they? United you know, fans, they'll be happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, jo- I'm, I'm joking. I was actually quite surprised that United were 
were quite that open with the forward players that they that they had on the pitch. With, with I did Sancho, think it was a bit Anthony, tactically naive, to be perfect. Like Ericsson Ra- as a sitter, no Casemiro. That seemed Rashford, a bit strange Bruno, to me. So it was the Casemiro situation is bizarre. Yeah, the the element of surprise maybe in in in, in formation, but. I suppose from a defensive point of view, if you're a Manchester United um, defensive player, then you know the likes of uh, players need to put it in at the other end as well. I think Sancho has been singled out as maybe not uh, not tracking back as much as, as he should and helping his his defensive partners there. And and George mentions Casemiro, who's played, who's come in for a lot of money and only played 86 minutes of, of Premier League football so far, which to me was is is, is, is quite surprising. Uh, I don't know how, how fit he is or or whatever's going on at the football club there, but. You would have thought with his experience and the trophies that he's won that that would be the type of game that he would uh, he would appear in, but uh, but obviously not. And Tim, the good news for Cristiano Ronaldo was Eric Ten Hag said he was left on the bench for the whole game out of respect for his great career. Just bonkers, honestly, absolutely bonkers. I, I you know Ten Hag deserves credit for turning things around in the last few weeks, but did some weird things on Sunday. Um, yeah. Not not playing Casemiro as you as you say. I, th- I think he wanted to keep faith with with the team from the previous match. I think I'm right in saying that. Um, but my my friend texted me at one pm when he saw the team news and said Eric Ten Hag confirmed as psychotic. We will lose seven oh, three. Um, wow, he's, he's, seven three. Does he does he want a job, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> the mess. You can imagine the messages in the second half as that as that prediction got closer. Um, and yeah, the Ronaldo thing. Okay. Fair, fair enough if that's true, but don't say that. I thought it sounded terrible to come out and say that after you've lost 6-3 to say, yeah, we're, we're protecting Ronaldo from his glorious career by not wishing to stain it by sending him on. Does that mean he, he can't come on when they're losing now? Is, 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 that, is that a new thing? Um, it, I, I, I think, it, do you think it was wholly genuine? Do you think it was no chance. a thinly veiled dig Get it, get it at, at the biggest ego in football, you know? Yeah, maybe, maybe. I just think either way, you, you keep that, you keep that to yourself. I'm not sure what good that does by saying it. Um, although I've, I've heard a lot of players say that that that's fair enough. Really, I think if if you're a fan, you think it's ludicrous. If you're a player, you might agree that he shouldn't have come on to stay in his glorious career. Um, it's just it's just bonkers. Can't get my head around that one, Dan. Yeah, George, I'm going to give you. 20 seconds to, t- to talk about this because I don't even think your own family will be interested in your opinion on this but apparently you've got a bugbear of only two minutes being added despite five goals and plenty Sorry, of subs in the second this, half this, this deserves this deserves <laughs> this a whole des- podcast this deserves nothing I want to speak I want to speak to somebody at The Athletic who can go through and do a, a study on how much time is wasted or, or lost in, in top tier football because I don't understand how we can look at referees and expect them to make correct decisions when you literally have a game of football where the second half you have five goals, you have seven substitutions, and then you add two minutes on at the end of it as if whatever else happens in that game is irrelevant. It doesn't make any sense. I like, get the easy things right. Don't. <laughs> it's literally stopping a, stopping a clock and then adding on time. Like what happens if if United miss out on the top four because of one goal, or they make it because of one goal when the extra five minutes of the extra five minutes of the second half didn't happen that should have happened what if you're a paying fan like it just doesn't make any sense to me it's my biggest frustration just get that right you've had 20 seconds go on George you've had, you've absolutely, lo- absolutely love that I, I, was, I was at the Emirates last week do you know how many subs they made in the last 20 minutes 10 10 subs yeah. and, they had, they had, and, and, and a couple of goals and a red card and they had 4 minutes injury time yeah, it's I'm ridiculous. like are you, are you joking just get it right. Anyone who wants, you know, how can we expect people? It's, to be it's not. It's not up to the referees right. to to decide that a game should Correct. finish just because they think Correct. it's over. That is not. Couldn't that, agree more. They are not the rules of the game. The referee does not choose how much and importance also, m- m- there is in the rest of the game. <laughs> yeah, but even if it was six nil, you know, it's the, not ludicrous. The, the, 
even if it was six nil, the, the the opposition team need to suffer, make them suffer for as long as they're supposed to suffer. Like how Dan? How can you justify it? How is it ludicrous? You can't, like, what is I the feel, reason? I, for like, I don't it? think we should be doing a podcast on it. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> if if you do want to discuss this with Tim and George, we'll get their DMs open on Twitter. I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> expect an influx of, of messages from people, guys. But yeah, to, to, I think I'll be surprised. Slide into the DMs and they'll have a chat with you about this big, big, hard hitting issue that we've got going on in football at the moment. Um, Everton, Steve, two wins on the bounce unbeaten in six now and the best defensive record in the in the Premier League Lampard doing Connor well Cody we know why we know why team don't we what a man what a man 29 he is he looks about 35 is it absolutely been around a brilliant while, hasn't he yeah Brilliant. And, and of course, Tim will know his leadership on the pitch as well as off the pitch as well. We're, we make him four to nine now to be in that England squad. He's got, because uh, he knows the area area well. I think um, reading The Athletic about the um, the dad's, what's, you know, you know p- p- people calling him and Tarkovsky, um, you know, the dad's group. Um, he's, he's a great leader. I, admittedly, the flip side of it for me is that Jordan Pickford's been in fantastic form. Everton have been probably slightly getting away with it defensively as well. And whether that will flip round, we'll have to wait and see in time. Yeah, they think it's six goals. They should have conceded more if you look at expected goals. Yeah, yeah 13, yeah. And of course, him and, and uh, him and Tarkovsky, you know, Tarkovsky's putting his body on the line. Aerial Lee's been fantastic as well. Connor Cody is able to play in a four as well. And all the time, you know, Wolves are struggling. So it's absolutely great to see. Yeah, Hang course. on, that's so unnecessary. This is what, this is what he does, Tim. This is what he did to me the entirety of last season. This, yeah, because Albion are in such rude health, Timothy, aren't they? Albion are absolutely flying. So He's, even, he's, wearing, a, he's wearing a wolf shirt as well, just to, get you, just to rub it yeah. in. Midlands football's thriving, as we've discussed previously on this podcast. Dwight Manil got his first goal for about 50 years as well, his first goal for Everton. So the summer signing's doing the business so far for Everton. Let's look now at Crystal Palace v Leeds, the game George probably won't be watching on Sunday at two o'clock. <laughs> Palace, they were unfortunate though, weren't they, George, to come away with nothing against Chelsea. But Vieira's always kind of got that, that sad look on his face. They always seem to get to get caught late, Vieira and Palace, despite having having played well. Are you concerned for them in any way? It's difficult, isn't it? Because probably not. I mean, I, I, I think their squad is so good and I think that Vieira's earned our respect in what he's done there so far. But having said that, they are 17th after quite a lot of the season's already gone and struggling to pick up the points that, that are needed. Um, it was a classic case, I thought, on Saturday of, of scoring too early. You know, as soon as you saw Eduardo put them ahead, uh, Odson with his, with his first of 25 this season. Um, it was a, um, you know, you knew that they were going to be uh, coming under uh, a bit of a barrage. And in fairness to them, I, I didn't think, you know, even though Chelsea got the winner, a brilliant goal from uh, from Conor Gallagher against his that former almost club. almost adds insult uh, and also, to injury for Ballis as well. So Massively. And also, well, and, and also, of course, you know, former Brighton manager Graham Potter as well. I mean, it being a former Brighton manager, um, you know, in charge and then their old star Gallagher scoring the goal, um, it would have really hurt. Uh, and also, I thought Aubameyang's finish was a real sign of um, of what Chelsea maybe been lacking in recent seasons. And what also I think Graham Potter was lacking, where he hadn't had someone at, at Brighton who was prolific to finish off those kind of half chances in the box uh, the way that Aubameyang did. So, um, yeah, frustration for Palace. Again, they, they lost very little in defeat. Uh, it was a worldie that, that beat them. Um, but but you know, they are 7-1 to one at the moment for relegation, which suggests that it's a given that they're going to turn things around. Uh, and I think they probably will, but you know they're, they're, they need to do it quite soon. Yeah, and Tim Leeds, a back-to-the-wall point against Villa. Could have nicked it at the end, actually. John McGinn made a superb last-ditch tackle. 
I don't know whether you saw whether you saw that game, but I mean, two poor teams really, and Leeds played a part in that. But they did have ten men for the entirety of the second half. It was one of the few occasions where I watched match of the day without knowing the, the score, because um, I'd be pretty busy that day. And then, um, what's his name? Sinistera gets gets a yellow card in the first half, completely innocuously, and they've shown it in this in this short highlights package. I was like, all right, okay, C- classic match of the day. You know he's going to get sent off any any, any minute. Spoiler alert. Um, and it ended up it was it was absolutely ridiculous red card, which obviously handed the initiative to Villa. I don't know how Villa didn't didn't win that game with the chances they had. I guess that kind of sums up where they're at at the moment. Um, and Leeds are just a bit yeah, a bit meh. To me, really, I just I, I don't spirit think though. I guess to to, 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 to garner that yeah. point still, that's one thing they've got under Jesse spirit Marsh. He's, he's he's got that together, hasn't he? It's tangible. You can feel that with Leeds. They're together. They are, and they'll need that. You know, they're, they're they're not in a bad position at the moment, but I I do feel there's a lot of improvement to come from several teams that aren't that are just below them in the table. Um, so then they need to be picking up points consistently because I I still don't see anything other than than a relegation scrap for them this season. Would you go along with that, Steve? Maybe the Chelsea win kind of glosses over their form a little bit. I mean, they've, they've played seven, won two, drawn three, lost two, which obviously isn't too bad. Goals for 10, goals against 10 points, nine. But they're, they're difficult to judge. The one thing I will say is I feel like they've at least got a playing style under Jesse Marsh, that they've got a way of playing, which was obviously a massive thing under Bielsa, even though they start to struggle with that towards the end. They're seven favourites of relegation, Dan, at four to one. I think if you're a Leeds fan, particularly after Rafina and Phillips had left the football club, I think if they stay competitive in the division and stay in the division, yeah. I think Leeds fan, they're playing with an intensity similar to, to what Bielsa gave them as well. You know, the Leeds fans certainly crave that. Um, I think that will change this this time next season if they aren't, if they aren't further up the league. Um, in Meslier, they have a goalkeeper, of course, who a number of clubs will will be looking at. I would have I would have said he's contracted till twenty twenty six. I think Jack Harrison's probably the next bigger name to to leave the football club due to contractual reasons. But uh, Meslier, young, his, his distribution probably needs to be um, a little bit better. But it's a it's a young, exciting goalkeeper. Will go for a lot of money. You look at goalkeepers around the Premier League now, De Gea, Lloris as well, replacements for them. And he, he, he seems a good fit with plenty of scope to improve as well. It reminds me a little bit of when De Gea first came on the scene because he's quite quite up and down, Melier, and he, he sometimes comes for things and flaps a, a little bit, but there's it's undoubted potential there. He's going to be a very good goalkeeper. It's interesting you you bring up those teams that will be looking for, for a new goalkeeper in the next year, two years, Steve. This is the Weekend Preview on the Athletic Football Podcast. Up next, we'll discuss two managers for who the pressure is beginning to mount as they meet on Monday night under the lights at the city ground. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. A cheeky flip from Patson Dakar. Forrest can see the fourth. The pain piled on for them. Nottingham Forest v Aston Villa then, the Monday night football offering, George. Steve Cooper at the time of recording, still the Forest boss. Are you surprised? Yes. Um, I, I definitely thought the writing was on the wall when they were 3-0 down uh, against Leicester. That was a game between the two poorest sides so far in the Premier League and Forest were, were, were by far and away the, the poorer team of the two. Um, I guess, you know, if you look at the, the goals that were scored, it was a deflected effort and then a, an unbelievable free kick from Madison that saw them 2-0 down. So Cooper might point at a little bit of, um, well, bad luck or, 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 you know, it wasn't necessarily a case of conceding loads of of big chances. Um, but knowing what we know about the, the Forest owner, uh, Maranakis, um, it, it, it felt to me like we could even, um, like Sevilla on on Wednesday night, there could have been a, a, a official communication from, from, from Forest that night, but it hasn't happened. I do wonder if the reason for that might be because as we saw with um, with with Cooper when he was appointed last season, there might be a club who look to uh, sound out a replacement before pulling the trigger, and that might be what we're seeing at this stage. It seems very unlikely to me that Cooper is going to be there for for too much longer. Um, and, and Monday night's game against Villa, um, anything but a win, and you have to think his uh, his time at the club is is done. Yeah, Timmy switched from a back three to a back four for the first time. It could be pointed that that is a sign of desperation, but to be honest. I think any manager would struggle in these circumstances. How can any manager working with the sheer volume of new players that they've got know his best team at this point? You, you just wouldn't. No, you're right. But it was the first, it was the first time I've seen Forest live this season, and I I just struggled to comprehend why they had three attacking ball carriers who don't defend in Johnson, Gibbs White, and Lingard behind a striker. So getting the ball from defence slash midfield up front was just impossible because, you know, these guys, they're, they're, they're not really known for, for their tracking back. They are ball carriers. They like the ball at their feet and to run at, run at defenders. Tactically, it didn't make sense to me. Um, it, it did feel like a bit of an act of desperation. Um, the fans are clearly still with him. They sung his name heartedly in the, in the second half for, for a prolonged period of time. And, you know, he went over for, for what felt like a goodbye at full time. The, the, there, there is less of a case to make for him if they become adrift at the bottom of the table because you can't really make a case for many managers when they're bottom of the table um, approaching the sort of 10-game mark. If Forrest was sort of doing a Burnley or a Norwich and knowing that they're probably going to get relegated but looking to bounce back next season and build something over the few years, you'd say Cooper, Cooper's the man for that. But clearly, with the number of players they brought in, um, the money they've spent, that they're desperate to stay in the league this season at all costs, in my opinion. And that's why he'll probably lose his job. And I think it is just a case of finding his replacement at the moment, sadly. Yeah, there's been some great forest writing up on The Athletic in recent weeks, Steve. If he were to go Cooper, who who would you say would take over? Who'd be in the, in the driving seat for that job? I think if you asked me to price the market up, I'd be looking at someone like Rafa Benitez, possibly, to... Uh, to come in, there's the Sean Dyche connection as well. I suppose he started That's his career. That's the one that at, makes at, sense at, to me. At the at the City Ground, I mean, <clears throat> Albion. Just talking about the Albion briefly. Albion fans go get Dyche in, blah blah blah. 
there's no chance at this current stage of Sean Dyche be going for a championship job. He'll see, he'll see himself, I would imagine, as being a Premier League manager. And this ticks a lot of boxes. So it would be it'd be Rafa and Dyche for me. After Cooper, who is the next Premier League manager who's the favourite to get the sacks, Dave? Yeah, it's not a manager that I... It's not a market, down that, that I bet on. I don't like betting on managers to be sacked. But from a, an industry point of view, Cooper's obviously the warm favourite. And Hassel Hootel as well. He's also been recent stories of him being under pressure. And then you've got the likes of Rogers and still Stephen Gerrard. Yeah, Tim, we've spoke about the misery that is Midlands football at, at the moment. Villa fans still quite angry with Stephen Gerrard's management despite five points in their last three. But if they were to lose here, I, I think the, the fans would fully turn. That's the thing, really. I think, yeah, the league position is is quite precarious, but it's it's sort of... It's sort of saving Gerard from certainly sort of a national spotlight as to who's going next. You know, you imagine if they hadn't beaten Southampton at home, they'd, they'd be in the relegation zone now. So, um, perplexing decisions, question marks over his management. Buendia still not starting. Ugh. I find a lot of things very strange going on at Villa at the moment. Um, Me too. Well, go on then. What, 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 you know, how, how good or bad was it last week and how big is this game for Gerard? Just... Obviously, they were toothless at the weekend. They've they've shored up defensively for sure. You know that's a big reason why they've why they've picked up five points from the from the last three. And in Gerard's defence, he did need to did need to do that because they were just far too open. But the Buendia thing is quite puzzling because he makes an impact when when, when he's on the pitch. Reluctance to change system. I'm not convinced. Four three threes, the system for, for Villa at the moment. They've got a couple of injuries. The, the two high profile signings they made in the in the summer in terms of Diego Carlos and Bubakar Kamara. That they're both injured, so they're they're both huge misses because they were two areas that Villa needed to improve in. But this this back to basics approach, it's it's not sustainable, and it's almost as if you're saying we, we we've got to do that because we're not good enough to do what I want to do at the moment. But if you're trying to implement a style and an ethos, going and doing something completely different, that doesn't help. So I'm just I'm just not sure where Villa go at the moment. And I do feel like he's only ever one defeat away from the fans calling for his head. So in some ways, a parting at some point feels inevitable to me. Dan, what's happened to Coutinho? You know, he came in with it in a in a blaze of glory, and all of a sudden he's just he just we don't hear about him anymore. I thought he was you know one of the signings of the season. I think Villa's players that play off the striker. You very rarely get 90 minutes. You very rarely get a couple of games in a row because he keeps changing it up. Now, it seems like he's settled a little bit on Coutinho and Bailey in the positions off Ollie Watkins at, at the moment. But Bailey scored against Manchester City, played 90 minutes. And I'm not saying he's been good in the two games after, but he's been dragged after an hour. You, know, you, need, you need consecutive minutes. You need a run of games. I think because Gerrard hasn't known his best team, I think the front players have suffered from that. And also Coutinho playing on the... Play, he's more playing from, from from the left and he kind of just gets a little bit lost out there. Villa could go 4-2-3-1 and play Coutinho as a 10. I think you'd see a lot more from him. But yeah, Villa not not feeling in a great place at the moment, to be honest. So those are our matches to keep an eye on this weekend. But before we go, Steve, tell us about the Bet365 six-score challenge. Okay, guys, it's a six-score challenge, a new free-to-play game which provides football fans with an opportunity to win cash prizes. Get three correct, it's a fiver. Four correct, 50 quid. Five for a grand and a boosted jackpot of a million quid, guys, for all six based on a single winner. Yes, fingers crossed. I'm going to start with you, Tim. Two games for you. Chelsea Wolves. Oh, blimey. Uh, 2-1 Chelsea. Sorry. Okay, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, don't say sorry to me, pal. You can go higher if you want. Um, Man City, Southampton. 5-0. 
Okay. Georgie Boy, Brighton Spurs? 2-2. Uh, Palace Leeds? 2-0 home win. Okay. Well, I've got Arsenal-Liverpool, so it's a high-scoring game. So I'm not going to go with 0-0. I'm going to go with uh, with 2-2. And Everton versus Manchester United. I'm going to finish with one all. So we'll put those six on and see what happens. So that's it from us here at the Weekend Preview. Mark Chapman's back on Monday with reaction to all the weekend's big stories and more. Enjoy all the football at the weekend and thanks for listening. The Athletic.